This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Angry and Hurt, and it comes from Psalms 4. If you'd like to hear a previous lesson, you can listen online at our Facebook page. That's www.facebook.com slash radio Bible class with no spaces between radio Bible class. Again, that's www.facebook.com slash radio Bible class with no spaces. Also, you can follow us on Twitter or tweet us at radio Bible class with no spaces between radio Bible class. So you can tweet me personally at tcarter12. And this radio station at WMER Worldwide with no spaces between WMER Worldwide. Christian Radio is not free. If you enjoy this radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in the expense of keeping the radio Bible class on the air as a witness for Jesus. By making a charitable contribution, you are helping reach people in our listening area and over the internet. You can make a donation safely and securely by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information over the phone. Or send us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I remember watching TV when I was growing up, and from time to time, while I was watching one of my favorite shows, it would be interrupted by a test of the emergency broadcast system. I would hear that loud, annoying noise for 30 to 60 seconds. I used to hate these tests because they always seemed to come at the worst time. Just when I didn't want an interruption, it came. There was never any warning or notice that this test was coming. But even worse, there was no way I could avoid this test. The station just broke in and it did that test. Now, setbacks and adversity in life are just like that. They often come with no warning. There's often nothing to warn you that the doctor is going to come back with a bad report or that the company is downsizing and your job has been eliminated or your spouse is leaving you and wants a divorce. Life's setbacks just show up at the worst times. The Bible teaches us that these trials in life are inevitable. It teaches us that we should enjoy them. Listen to what James 1-2 says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. We need to understand that the Bible does not say if you encounter trials, but when you encounter trials. Trials are a matter of when and not if. Sometimes these trials are not necessarily a problem we created for ourselves. I think we'd all agree that when we sin, and it can create a problem in our life. But sometimes the trials and the problems aren't the ones that we created. They're not our fault. Our natural reaction, though, when that happens is to get angry or be hurt, maybe even both. Since we can't avoid these trials in life, as we just talked about, what should we do then? How should we respond? Today, we'll look at a, a psalm that David wrote, Psalm 4. He was inspired to write this as he was going through a trial in his life. It is an adversity psalm. If you're a person that studied the Bible, then you probably know that Psalm 3 goes with Psalm 4. And Psalm 3 was a prayer that David would pray in the morning, and Psalm 4 was a prayer that David prayed at night. 
I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but what Psalm 4 shows us that when we are in these trials of life, when we are hurt and angry, there's no silver bullet to solve this. Most people, as they're going through these trials, they try to get out of them as fast as they can. But what Psalm 4 shows us is that we can have joy in the middle of our trial. We need to understand that we may not be able to be taken out of our trial fast enough, but we can act differently from the world as we go through that trial. And that's why James said, count it all joy. It's an opportunity to show the world that you react differently because we have a peace that passes all understanding and that we saw that last week as we looked at Psalms 3. Today, I think David shows us five things that I want you to pick up from Psalms 4. I have a lot to cover, so let's just jump right in. I'm just going to read verse 1 out of Psalms 4. We'll go verse by verse like we normally do, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. Psalms 4, verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So the first thing I want you to see is that David goes to God first. David talks to God. We should always go to prayer first. We shouldn't go to man first. We should go to God first. And that's what he says right here in verse 1. Verse 1 starts out like many psalms. He says, answer me when I call, O God. This is David crying out to God saying, please hear my prayers. There is a passion in David's cry. He doesn't want to just cast words up towards heaven. He needs God's attention to his problem, his trial that he's in right now. So he says, hear me when I call, O Lord. I think we all could learn from this. Oftentimes, the power of our prayer is lacking because there's little passion in our prayer. It isn't that we persuade God by emotions, but God wants us to care deeply about the things that he cares deeply about. The prophet Isaiah showed us this when he spoke of sorrow and the lack of sorrow in Israel. He said in Isaiah 64, 7, There is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. And that's what David's doing right here. He's stirring himself up and he gives us a good example of taking a hold of God, reaching out to God with passion. The other thing I like at the beginning of this verse, if you look back at verse 1 with me, he says, O God of my righteousness. David knew that he wasn't good enough. David knew that he couldn't be good enough. David knew that he couldn't do the things that God wanted to do. Now, he did those because the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. But David knew that his righteousness came from God. It wasn't anything that he did. So we see David calls out with his passion, and he calls upon God who makes him righteous. Now look back with me at verse 1 again. He says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. David falls back on the past, and he knows that God is faithful. He says, you have given me relief when I've been in distress, when I've been through trials before. As we walk with God through our life, we are going to go through these trials. It's a matter of when, not if. And as we do that, we sure up our faith as we learn that God is faithful. And David shows us that. He says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. And then he says, again, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. See, David doesn't assume he comes humbly before God. And he says, be gracious, show me mercy, but more than anything, hear my prayer. 
So we see the first thing that David did is he went to God in prayer, not man. So we should always pray first. And then the next thing we need to see is that hurt is a natural response. Being angry is that natural response. Look at verse two with me. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. See, we love to ask that question. Oh, how long? Even in Revelation, in chapter 5, where we see the martyrs ask God, How long, O Lord? Here we see that David is talking to men now. He's not talking to God. He turns and he talks to man. He says, How long shall my honor be turned into shame? Now, what he's saying here is, How long are you going to slander me? How long are you going to lie about me? David addresses those that are slandering him. You have to remember there are multiple people in his life. We talked about that last week in Psalm 3, and this carries over into this psalm. There are people with him right now that are angry also, that are hurt also. And then you have others that have gone over to Absalom's side, and they are saying lies about him. They're telling lies and things that aren't true. Matter of fact, if you remember in Psalms 3 last week, he addressed those that said, the Lord will not save you. They will not save your salvation. There's no salvation in him. In other words, there's no hope. And David overcame that. And so he warns these slanders and liars that the Lord will have his day. David's warning to them is that you're not really messing with me. You're messing with God. See, I'm not my defense, even though I've had significant wins. I've won battles but it was only through God. God is my righteousness. He's my first resort. And so you're messing with God. You're not messing with King David. And what we need to learn from this is that we should see the same way that David did. David said he knew where his righteousness came. He knew that God had saved him many times. But when we respond in God's righteousness, when we cry out with prayer and passion to him. He hears those prayers and they are now, we've turned them over to God. They are battling against God and God can take and spend things for their own glory. If you go back to the book of Esther, it's about a nation that was almost wiped out, but God put a woman in the kingdom and there Esther was able to change the outcome. Mordecai, who thought he was going to be able to wipe out the nation of Israel, had everything turned on him in a matter of 24 hours because God heard their cry and their prayer. And it's no different for us. When we're going through a trial, God hears it. God has your back. We saw that last week. But you have to understand that they are now taking on God, and you need to warn them. You're not just battling me, but you're battling me plus God. As you study this whole scenario that goes down in 2 Samuel 15, you know, David had his 400 men. The Bible talks about that. David probably could have stood his ground and battled Absalom's men and, and won, but he didn't. He trusted in God. He knew God's faithfulness. It reminds me of one of my favorite movies. It reminds me of The Lion King. Now, there's a scene in there where Simba goes to Scar, and Scar sets him up for his defeat. Scar wants to be the next king, just like Absalom wants to be the next king with David. Scar sends him to the elephant graveyard. Now, Simba's not supposed to go there. His dad's told him that. But being young and inexperienced like he is, 
he goes to the elephant graveyard with Nala. And he and Nala are there, and the hyenas come out. Scar set all this up. And the hyenas are laughing at him. They're making fun of him. And he's telling them that he is the king. And they said, well, let me hear your roar, you mighty king. And he lets out a roar, and it's just a, a yelp. And they said, they start laughing really, really hard. And then they ask again, let me hear your roar. And this time he gets the hair up on his neck. He rears back as, as big as he can. And the next thing you know, he opens his mouth and you hear this roar. And it really isn't Simba. It is Mufasa who's right behind him. And the hyenas run off. And that's the way we need to understand that we are just like Simba. We have a mighty king right behind us. We have Jesus that has our back. He has us surrounded. And when he roars, our enemies run. Now look with me at verse 3 where David says that God hears us. First, he told us that we should pray first. He shows us that hurt is natural. Being angry is natural. Now he says God hears us. Look at verse 3 with me. But know the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. The first thing I want to dive into is that he says set apart. But listen to his warning to them. But know the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we believe on him and ask him in our heart, he transforms our life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are a new creation. We literally die spiritually. We're already dead. We don't die. We're already dead. But we, when we accept Jesus, he puts the Holy Spirit in us. He comes to live inside us. We are a new creation. We have a new birth. We have that second birth like Jesus told Nicodemus, to be saved, you must be born again. So David says that he had been set apart. And what he's saying here is that God had taken care of him time and time again and that he had a favor from God. He was special to God. Now, not that he was special over anybody else, but that he was special over God. And we are the same way. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross. Just understand how much that really means that God loves you. And so we have been set apart just like David was set apart. And because of that, when we become a member of the church, when we become a joint heir with Jesus Christ, then it has its benefits that come along with that. The benefit that comes along with this is that we have his protection. But there's also a requirement as well. And that means that we are to live by his commands. We are to follow him and not the ways of the world. Our natural response is to start throwing everything that we know about God out the window. And we try to do it in our own strength. We try to do it in our own way instead of letting God fight the battle for us. What we see right here in this psalm is, no, 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 that's not the way to respond to adversity. That's not the way to respond to a trial in life. It's to turn it to God in prayer first. It may be that we have a natural hurt or anger, but then we understand that God hears us and that we have his protection. But we also have his requirements, that we have to live and respond differently than the way that the world does. And really, this is what David shows us in the next two verses, verses four and five, where he says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and your beds and be silent, selah, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So what we see right here is we have that benefit. We've been set apart. We have his protection, but we also have to respond right. 
in these two verses, verse four and five, David is talking to his men. They're probably mad. David, let's go take care of this. I'm tired of hearing and them calling us wimps. I'm tired of them saying that we're scared and we ran like chickens. Let's go battle them. And what David tells his men is it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be hurt by what is said, but be careful and do not sin. It is natural to be angry. It's natural to be hurt, but do not sin in that anger and that hurt. Too many times we're on that emotional roller coaster. We let our natural response take over. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a representative, as a person who carries his name, we have to respond the way that Jesus would respond. And yes, I'm not going to sit here and be holier than thou and tell you that you can't get angry and you can't be hurt, because that would just be a bold face lie. Our natural response is to do that. But we carry the right name, and we need to understand what David says in verse 5, and that is put your trust in the Lord. Give it to him. He says, ponder in your own hearts, on your bed, and be silent. Don't commit sin. Don't go do it in your own strength, but do it in God's timing and let God lead us in the way that it should go. But the problem is most Christians don't do it this way. You know, when we're doing it in our own way, we're not fun people to be around. We're on that emotional roller coaster. There's times that we're at that all-time low and we're Debbie Downers. And there's other times that we are just almost slandering, just like the people that slandered them. So David says, do not sin in your anger and your hurt. Even in our anger and our hurt, when people have done us wrong, not something that we did, but they did it against us, we don't have an escape clause to not act like Jesus. And what I would tell you is this all goes back to what happened way back in the day. We covered this last week. What happened is that Tamar was Absalom's sister, and she was beautiful. One of David's other sons saw her and fell in love with her, and he said he had to have her. And so what did he do? He listened to the outside world who said, act like you're sick, have her come cook in your room by yourself, and then you can have her. You can take her and have her. And that's what he did. But after he raped her, he kicked her out and he wanted nothing to do with her. And Absalom found out and he was mad. So what made this whole situation bad is that David didn't do anything to Amnon after this happened, after he raped Tamar. So Absalom had to take it in his own hands. Through Absalom's rage, he plans the killing of his brother Amnon. After killing his brother, he runs for his life, and eventually David sends Joab for him and has him come back. But even after he comes back for another two years, David has nothing to do with him. He can't see him as king. He has not addressed the problem in the room. And we could all learn from this. There are times in our family, there are times in our workplace, there are times in our lives where we don't address an issue that we should. Right here, we see a problem that festered and created a problem that created rage inside of Absalom to the point that he tries to overthrow David as king. So right here in verse four and five, he says, ponder in your own heart on your bed and be silent. David is pondering what he's done in the past. He's also telling his men, be careful, check your heart, check your motive and make sure this is what God's telling you and you're not doing it out of your own strength. So David finishes and says, offer sacrifices of the righteous and put your trust in the Lord. That's how he finishes up verse five. And what David knew was the value of living under God's guidance. He knew that he was supposed to offer sacrifices. Now the sacrifices didn't get make God love him more. 
but he knew that there were requirements, a way to live, that he was different. He had to, he couldn't live like the world. He couldn't respond like the world. So, and then he says also, but you do it because you put your trust in the Lord. What I want you to see and hear right here is that when we live differently from the world, when we live out God's commandments and we do it because we put our trust in God and we're not doing it out of some religious duty, then we get God's experience. We get God's benefits. And that protection that we talked about is there with us. And that's what we see in verses six through eight. We see God's benefits and protection on David. Look at me at verses six through eight real quick. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have with their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. He quotes in the second part of verse six, Numbers 6 through 24, and that says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. David understood when he put his trust in the Lord that the Lord would give him joy. It would give him peace. And we saw that last week where he was able to sleep. He says, And the Lord allow me to sleep and wake up refreshed. And here he says, I will have more joy because, Lord, I lift my face to you. I want you to really focus on where is David's attention. All the focus could be on him, but it's not. What is he doing? He's telling everybody, I will lift my face to you. He knows where his strength comes from. He knows where his favor comes from. And the focus is on God. And guess what? As we focus on God and we understand who God is and how big God is and how powerful God is, the problem that we face becomes smaller and smaller. You may say, Tim, you don't understand the problem I'm going through. I can't have joy in that problem. Well, then you just said, if you're a Christian, that that problem is bigger than God. And there's nothing bigger than God. Let me ask you this. Five years ago, what was going on in your life? Ten years ago, what was going on in your life? That problem that you faced five and ten years ago, it seemed really, really big, but it's gone now. It really wasn't as big as sometimes we made it because we focused on the problem and not on God. When we focus on God, when we see the long-term view, then the problems that we face today seem to take care of themselves over time. I'm not saying they're not difficult. I'm not saying they're not painful. I'm not saying that they can't have a long-term effect on us. They may change the direction that we're going down a path. But what I am telling you is that God has your back and he has what is best for you. And when we understand that, we can be like David and we can find that joy that David talks about. And that's what David really says in verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have their grain and wine abound. Now, again, you may go, what is this about grain and wine? Well, you have to understand that at this moment in time, most folks were farmers. They understood about the harvest and there were good years and there were bad years. And in the good years, when they had lots of grain and lots of grapes and that they could make wine, when it was more than they could handle, there was lots of joy. There was lots of celebration. And he says, you put more joy in my heart than any celebration that there's ever been. Here's the principle we need to learn what David's saying right here. Oftentimes, we think having more money, having possessions, getting that promotion at work, having certain friends, living in a certain place is going to make us happier. But that's not what David says right here. 
David teaches us that God can give us more joy than any of that. So you can go chase that next awesome meal at that restaurant you've always wanted to go to. You can go chase after that next vacation that you want to. But what I will tell you, one drop of God's joy in your heart will outlast any of that. All that stuff is temporal. It's here and then it's gone. But God's joy gives us peace no matter what we go through. It allows us to lay our head down and sleep even when we are walking through this adversity and these trials. It is a peace that passes all understanding. What he's saying is the world cannot give us the joy that God can give us. Now realize who is saying this. This is the king of Israel. And he's saying, look, I've gotten everything. I've had women. I've had song. I've had music. I've had food. I've had everything the world can give me. And none of it is better than the joy that God can give me. And you may be asking right now, Tim, how do I get this joy? Because I don't have this joy. Well, first of all, you need to have Jesus as Lord of your life. That's number one. And that's table stakes. But the next thing, look at what David did in the beginning of this prayer. He said, oh, Lord, hear my cry. Give me your joy. David knew where the joy came from. But then he also says in verse four, be angry and do not sin. See, one of the biggest things that we do to steal our joy is we react in our natural. We do it in our own strength. We get angry, we get hurt, and all of a sudden we let that joy be stolen by our natural reaction. When we don't seek the Lord for our joy, that's one of the biggest ways that we let our joy be stolen. And second is that we do it in our natural. We allow our anger to steal our joy. And quickly look back at verse 8 with me. He says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David understands where his joy is and who he puts his trust in. And because of that, we see again that he can lie down and sleep even when he's faced losing his life from his son Absalom. David understands. He says, For you alone, O Lord, are my peace. You are the one who allows me to lay down and sleep and not have to worry that I dwell in safety. David knew where his security was and where his joy was. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. If most of us were honest, we would say that we don't like trials and we don't want trials to come our way. Just like that emergency broadcast system, trials come in our life unexpectedly. Our natural response when these trials come is to be hurt or angry. But these trials test our faith and we grow out of it. Troubles that come our way help produce patience in us. Too many times we rush through these tough seasons. And because we rush through these storms, we miss out on God's purpose, the patience, the joy, and the perfecting that God wants in us. Too many times because we rush through it that, and we failed that test, it means we get to do it again. And we create more affliction and more trials in our life. And so I would prefer to get it right the first time. And David gave us a recipe of success today. In David's cry, he said, help me have that joy, Lord, like you have in the past. As I've gone through trials, look back in your trials. Look at what the Lord has done for you. Each time he puts us, he gives us a little more. And we need to understand and lean on those times that God has been faithful in our life. God's timing for these trials for our life is perfect. You know, sometimes when we bake a cake, we put it in the oven 
And if we pull it out too early, then it's not right. It falls apart. But if we leave it in there too long, it gets burnt. God has perfect timing. He knows just when to remove us from the fire. Faith is like a precious gem that undergoes the refining process of fire. We need to allow the words of James 1-2, count it all joy when we go through sickness and brokenness and grief and financial setbacks, the problems at work, the problems at home, the depression that we go through. Seek out God and find that joy. Remain in the fire that God has allowed to us till we're done, till we're done perfect in that test. And we lack nothing that God wants from us. Trials don't come to hurt us, but they come to help us and help us refine our faith in God. You're either in a trial or just coming out of one or heading into one. Keep a journal of the joy and the big and the small that you encounter as you pass through these storms of life. Through that journaling, you'll see the faithfulness of God and it'll help you put your trust in him just like David did. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you right now, Lord, and we hate storms, we hate trials, we hate tribulation, but we will submit ourselves to your timetable so that you have your perfect work in our life. Lord, let us see, bring out that joy that we want, that we seek, that we chase after. Lord, don't let us chase after the joy in this world, but let us be separate from the world and seek out the joy in you. And Lord, let us see the benefits that you give us and that joy that you give us. Let us be content wherever we are and have our happiness in you. Lord, right now, I feel like you're knocking on heart and you're saying, turn it back to me. Come back to me. Focus on me and not on you. Put your faith back in me. Trust in me. I will give you joy. I will give you rest. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray today would be the day, Lord, that they would give their life to you, that they would understand that you came, you died on a cross to overcome our sins. And when we believe on you as the perfect sacrifice for those sins, and we allow you to be Lord of our life, when we allow to live a submitted life under you, and we believe on that, that we're saved, we become a new creation. Lord, I pray today would be the day for that person. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings you give us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.